Hi, everyone. It's Natalie. This week on The Murder Diaries, we have a special bonus episode for you. In just a minute, you'll get to hear Paige and I speak with Alina Burroughs, someone we have long admired ever since we were a baby podcast back in 2019. We've wanted to get her on for years now, and it just never worked out with all of our schedules until now. For those who are unfamiliar with Alina, she's a former CSI in Orange County, Florida. And now she hosts the show Crime Scene Confidential on Investigation Discovery. She is such a kind and empathetic soul who knows what she's talking about when it comes to forensics. And I can't wait for everyone to hear what she has to say. Now, here it is. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alina. It's seriously such an honor to have you. You're sweet. I'm glad to be here. We at The Murder Diaries first got to speak with you on Instagram. And we don't even know if you remember this, but we were like baby podcasters. We had first started The Murder Diaries. And we honestly never forgot like just how kind and open you were to speaking with us just as little green baby podcasters in the true crime space, which is huge space to be in. So thank you for that. We probably had like 500 followers. So you really were sweet to open your DMs and respond. (laughs) And and so quickly and kindly. (laughs) Can you let our listeners who might not have found you on Instagram or your show on Discovery Plus, can you introduce yourself a little bit for them? Sure. So my name is Alina Burroughs and I am a retired crime scene investigator who fell into the realm of TV. And I now host a show called Crime Scene Confidential. And it is on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and streaming on Max. And uh, my Instagram is Alina Burrows. And for the most part, you know, the goal, I think, of the show, you know, kind of just to sum it up in a nutshell, right? So I was crime scene. I taught college in uh, forensic science topics. And when I was a crime scene investigator, I always wanted to change the world. Like I still want to. I'm one of those people that's foolish enough to believe that I can change the world. I thought, well, you know, I can change the world in this in this maybe small capacity at the agency that I work for, like one family at a time, maybe one victim at a time. And when the opportunity came up to do the show, I thought maybe I can be more impactful in this capacity. And it sounds silly to think that a television show can do that. But I have evidence to believe that it is actually helping things and that it is changing the world. And, you know, even in season one, we did an episode on uh, that kind of centered around or brought up some issues about domestic violence. And uh, I got some DMs that were, I mean, they made me cry (laughs) literally reading through these DMs. So the TV show is reaching people. It's bringing up topics for discussion that we need to talk about. It's, um, you know, educating people. Like I whisper, like people don't want to know they're being educated, but they are. And it's in such a fun way because I hear that they're, you know, pausing and talking about things or maybe the next day they're even saying, well, I thought the person was guilty and somebody else thought they were innocent. And they're having these conversations about what the evidence means to them or why they thought it was relevant or maybe why they didn't think it was relevant. It's opening up this view. Um, That's what the confidential means in Crime Scene Confidential. It should feel like I'm lifting up the tape. You're kind of coming along on this crime scene, uh, you know, as a ride along with me. And you're you're learning a little bit of something. And I love that the, the next day people are talking about things. Absolutely. And we've seen and appreciated a lot of the conversations that we see in the media space, like you're mentioning, on TikTok, in our comment sections, you know, having appropriate, kind, hopefully trauma-informed conversations in and surrounding media. Victim-centric is important to me as well. 
that we're not glorifying crime, we're not glorifying the perpetrator of the crime, and that it remains centered around the victim. Very important to me um, in the in the crime space that it's not taking advantage of somebody's pain. That it's not glorifying that. That was critical to me. One of the things that I also love so much about the show. And, and I try, I'm an empath, right? So I always think from all sides of this and how terrible it must be, you know, thinking about the true crime space and the shows and the podcast. And I tell people, you know, what if you didn't know you had gone through this horrific event in your life? This is everybody's worst nightmare. And you're just driving to work one day and all of a sudden you hear a podcast about the worst moment in your life, or you turn on the TV and there's this story being done about the worst moment in your life, the loss of your loved one, or in some way you're involved without your permission, without knowing about this and how horrifying that must feel. And then your loved one is only known to the world through the details of their death. You're literally just Googling this human, this person, this mother or brother or father, and you're looking about the details of their homicide. But you don't know anything about who they were as a human and as a person. We always talk to family on this show. We talk, we want to know who they were in their life and put context around this. This is a human being so that we're not just talking about the details of their death. We want to give that context. We want so that when people hear the name, we know who they were. Who was this mother? What was important to her? And I don't want people to just hear the name and think, oh, that was the person that was stabbed or strangled or, you know, whatever. We want to know that this was the woman that cared for her children and made them first. And the dad that showed up at their kids' softball games That's what's important is that the family gets to feel like equal time was given to their life as was their death. And I think that's why we're so drawn to you and what you're doing on Crime Scene Confidential because that's something that is really important for us as well. In fact, when we do talk to a lot of the family members that we interview for cases we cover, one of the things we hear a lot of is, thank you so much for asking about my loved one. No one ever asks. And it's startling and shocking that you could cover a case and not talk about who the person was for their entire lives before the one final moment that led to their death. Anyway, so that I, I think that's probably why we just love your show and love you. And so we appreciate that. Thank you. And I'll be the first to admit, and we talk about this a lot because we want to be transparent for our listeners and families we work with, that that is something we had to learn along the way. It's not always something that you learn or think about, strangely enough, before you're in the true crime space, before you are covering these stories, before you are doing research, and you're like, I want to know more about this person, and I can't find it anywhere. And so the only way to do that is by talking to the families or walking through some of the interviews that are already standing from the family. So it's it's a learning curve in this true crime space and true crime's not going anywhere. So this is an important part of it for us as creators. You know, what, what side of history do you want to be on? You hear that all the time. It's like, what, what side of true crime do you want to be on? Yes. And you have to do it, you know, very delicately, very gently. You know, I'm sitting down with family members. It's a big ask to ask them to relive these moments you know, and I can't take that that responsibility, that honor casually. You know, I'm not just going to sit down and be like, oh, so tell me about this, you know, most horrific event that occurred mm-hmm. in your life. You know, this is a this is a big, deep ask, especially if this is something that I just met them. Absolutely. I love that you framed it as like as an honor. And it is a big ask with your show. You're really diving into the case. So you're bringing back up some heavy 
heavy things. As podcasters, when families come on our show, we are asking questions and they get them beforehand, but they still have that that space, you know, to kind of where they're willing to go. It's a little bit different in your show. This has to be covered. This is what we're examining. This is the point of it. So absolutely, it's it's a, a delicate, um, a delicate walk. It definitely yeah. is. Now that we're kind of talking about the show and we've covered a little bit about your career, but can you walk us through a little bit more clearly your career as a CSI involved in cases such as the Casey Anthony and Kaylee Anthony case to having your own show, Crime Scene Confidential? Yeah. Well, a lot of people want to know, A, like how I became a crime scene investigator. That's probably one of the number one questions that I get. I was working on my undergrad degree, which is in communication. Who, who knew, right? I feel like that le- everything you do in life leads you down the path where you're supposed to go. And like a lot of kids that are, you know, 18, 19, you know, you graduate high school and you're supposed to know what you want to do with the rest of your life at that age. Like, are you kidding me? And so I, I picked communication because I thought, well, that applies to everything in the world, right? We all have to, you know, we should need to know how to be better communicators and effective communicators. And at that point, I was actually considering radio. I thought maybe radio. So I started my degree in communication and was working through that through college and, uh, working other jobs. I was actually a restaurant manager at the time. So I was I was waking up very early, opening the restaurant, doing the early morning shift so that I could finish by like two o'clock in the afternoon and go to school so that I could do both simultaneously. And then something kind of happened, led me down a path where I needed to go and work for my father's company. My father was an industrial organizational psychologist. And a lot of people aren't familiar with that side of psychology. It's the psychology of like business and how businesses make decisions on who to hire appropriately so that people don't get hired by being somebody's friend. (laughs) He was doing that primarily for law enforcement agencies. So how do large law enforcement agencies hire the appropriate people that have the best knowledge, the best skills, the best abilities for the job so that we get sergeants and lieutenants and captains that are the best one for the job? And when I went and started working for him, part of that job was helping write tests like practice tests to give these folks that are taking their exams. And I would always go to the crime scene, (laughs) the crime scene standard operating procedures. And I would write my questions on those because I was just drawn to those. And I remember one day saying to my dad, like, I think I want to do this. Like, I think crime scene is where I want to go. At that time, I lived near Orange County, Orange County Sheriff's Office. So I called them and I said, what are the qualifications to be a crime scene investigator at your agency? Uh, They're a really big agency. And they said, uh, we have a six-year requirement. So I believe it was six years. So you had to have six years of experience or education. And I had neither at that point. So I had just graduated with my four-year degree. I had no experience as a crime scene investigator. So I thought, well, really, with four years of schooling up until that point, I'm like, if I got a master's degree, that would be considered six. (laughs) Like, would that get my foot in the door? And it had to be a degree in a, in a science. So I went and looked up the program to get a master's degree, master's of science in criminal justice. And I thought, could that be my, my way in? And I said, okay, well, but what about a master of science? Would that work for you? Because that's six years of college and science. And they said, yeah, that'd work. Because that would be what would allow you to test for the position of crime scene investigator. I went and got my master's degree in three semesters because I was in a hurry. I am not playing. So I did three semesters, just a max capacity of classes. Um, I'm kind of like when I put my head to something, I'm just 
I have zero patience and I just want it like right now. So I went and got my master's degree while I was working and came back and I was like, cool, got that. Now I have my six years. Can I take the test? And they were like, yeah, here's the test. So about 50 people showed up to take the test for the position of CSI. Because at this point in time, like CSI shows were on and everybody and their brother that was like <laughs> sitting around watching CSI was like, oh my God, I don't do CSI. <laughs> that sounds so cool. And they designed this test to weed out the people that just, you know, was like, hey, it's Wednesday. I think I want to be a CSI. Mm -hmm. And so they gave the test and I passed, like not going to lie, barely. <laughs> got my foot in the door, passed. And then you go through like background checks and psychologicals and like all these. Then you get a practical test where they're like, okay, this is the type of evidence we have. How do we process it? If you have this, how do you photograph it? Like all of these intense practicals. And then you make it through like a three panel interview. I mean, it was an intense procedure and uh, I got the job. So that is how I became a CSI. And then I spent uh, 12 years, you know, became a senior certified crime scene analyst through the IAI, which is kind of the governing body of crime scene investigators. Got a good deal of experience because, um, you know, it doesn't do great for tourism in Orange County, but we got a good deal of crime. That's kind of how my crime scene career came about. And I, I was teaching forensic science at the same time. Paige mentioned earlier that you've been involved in some pretty high-profile cases like the Kaylee Anthony case. And with all of your experience, obviously, you are the right person to be talking when it comes to even testimony, because you did testify at the case. What's it like being involved in a huge case like that compared to other cases that haven't gotten that, that type of media coverage? The stress is higher, but everything else is really no different. You know, the crime scene procedure is no different, whether or not the case gets media coverage or not, right? Our victims are the same. Our victims all deserve the same amount of um, our efforts and our interests as to why the media put more focus on that case. I could get on my soapbox all day long because the types of crimes that happen in, you know, brown and black communities every day are really no different. That crime was just kind of perfect for the media because it happened in an unexpected manner, right? Um, you know, when we look at socioeconomic status, it happens in a community where we don't expect things like that to happen. There's almost communities where we go, oh, well, we expect that. And there are communities where we say, oh, we don't expect that. So now the media is going to pay attention when it happens in certain areas. Also, there, you know, it's an attractive white upper middle class family. And then people go, oh my gosh, you know, I think we all devise what evil looks like. There are certain things that we think are okay that evil should look like that. And then there are certain things that we go, now that's not what we expected evil to look like. And those always grab our attention, you know, or or it's a position or a role, like a doctor, a teacher. And we, in our head, we go, that's not what we expect that to look like. So when it is a certain, you know, when it's a mother, we go, oof, we don't know what to do with that. And so it does get a lot of media attention because it really challenges us in our expectations yeah, but cases, you know, they're, they're the same. We work them the same, no matter who the victim is, whether it's high profile or not. It just, yeah, it'll put a little more added stress. You know, when I testified, it's different because every move I made when I was on the stand, I could just hear rapid fire camera clicks from still cameras. I mean, when I leaned forward, it would just be click, 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 click every time I moved on the stand. You know, uh, Geraldo Rivera is sitting in the front row and, you know, that's a bit different. 
Um, but the process of testifying is the same. And at that stage in my career, I'd probably testified a hundred times before, and I probably testified a thousand times after. So you do it the same, no matter who. I could imagine that something like your perspective that you just shared is is something that has led to you earning a show like Crime Scene Confidential and obviously makes it a bit different from some shows that are out there that cover true crime, in my opinion. But is there anything else you can think of about True Crime Confidential that makes it a little bit different than some of the other true crime media and shows that are out there? Oh, 100%. I could talk about it all day long. But when we look at crime shows and the perspectives that they offer, you know, uh, we talk about uh, forensic files, right? When, when we're looking in that space of forensic science, forensic files came out a uh, long time ago. Um, it actually started as a show called Medical Detectives, and then it morphed into Forensic Files. And it's been a very long time since that show came out. Uh, we have not seen the perspective of a crime scene investigator. We've seen it dramatized through the CSI series, but we've not seen perspective from a crime scene investigator. We've seen detective perspective. We've seen uh, what? We've seen cops. We've seen SWAT. We've seen um, a lot of perspectives in the in the law enforcement community, but we have not, since forensic files that in the 90s, have not seen the perspective of a crime scene investigator. And really, I will argue, there is no one closer to the case in terms of the evidence than a CSI. And so this show is unique in that factor. When we look at detectives, you know, they interview people, certainly an interesting perspective because we have the human factor. People, they're always have an interest in maintaining a perception of themselves. And evidence is the one thing that has no, it, it doesn't have a stake in the game. You know, evidence simply exists or it doesn't. DNA is or it isn't. A fingerprint is a match to somebody or it is not. It isn't biased in any way. And I've always said that evidence doesn't fail us. Only our human interpretation can fail. So on the show, basically, I view my role as a, a navigator and a translator. So I present the case, I navigate through the details, right? Some of these cases can get pretty, pretty deep. And so we navigate, we do speak to those people that were closest to the case, the investigators, the prosecution, maybe the defense. Um, in season two, there are multiple times that I speak to the people convicted of homicide themselves, convicted murderers. We get perspectives from all of this side, but really we're navigating the forensic evidence that was critical in providing uh, the result in this case. So guilt or innocence, and how was the forensic evidence used? And sometimes in the, at least the screeners that we got to watch, you're looking at this evidence that may not have been there and they were still convicted. That's it. So, you know, the evidence, if it's minimal, if it's circumstantial, it's pretty much always controversial in the cases that we look at. And we want to look at it under the eye of 2023. You know, is this evidence that would still hold up now if we looked at it? You know, we talk about, you know, the, the word junk science is kind of thrown about. There's a process. There's an evolution to science. There was a time in which we measured people's heads. We, it was called Bertillonage, and we measured the distance between their eyes or their ears. And that's how we said this person is unique because of the distance between their facial features. And then all of a sudden, fingerprints came around and we went, ah, you know, maybe measuring somebody's, you know, eyes is not the most accurate way to, to figure out who they are. So there is a process to science where something will fall off and something maybe will come in and replace it. So now we're looking at, you know, some cases. Uh, our premiere episode is a case from the 80s. And we look at the evidence involved in that case. It's minimal. 
and we go, should this person have been convicted? Should they be, you know, are we looking at people that should be convicted that are released? Are we looking at people that were released that should have been convicted? The stakes are higher in season two. I think we really kind of upped it. If you watched season one and you loved it, then uh, all I can say is get ready because the stakes are higher in season two. We have people that are actively either trying to get out or potentially people that could go back. And you also have family members that have that question or unanswered question of whether or not their family member was guilty or not. And you talked to some of those people as well, in addition to the people who were sent to jail. So I always ask family members that I sit down, what can I do for you? What can I help you with? And maybe I can and maybe I can't help them, but I'm always going to be honest with them. And that is something that I think is the hardest thing, the most amount of pressure in that families obviously have an emotional expectation. A certain answer might be easier for them to hear. And it doesn't necessarily mean that's the answer I can give them. And that breaks my heart. But I am tied to what the evidence will show me. And sometimes that's the only thing that I can do. Or sometimes I can't provide them with an answer. And the best thing that I can do is tell them I can't provide you with a definitive answer. Uh, It doesn't do anybody any good if I just make something up. If I go beyond what the evidence can tell me. Because in a lot of these cases, that's exactly what's been done. People go beyond their scope because for whatever reasons, maybe the forensics wasn't there at the time. Maybe they had an expectation to make a case and they will tell a story, whether the evidence is there to support it or not. And I'm not going to do that. And you do a good job of tempering those expectations because literally, I think, and I think we saw three screeners, every single one, you tell the people involved, like the evidence doesn't lie. We're just going based off the evidence. And I think that is something that they have to accept, you know, it just because it went one way years ago, it doesn't mean that that was the right direction it went. Yeah, and it's hard. And I'm not here to change anybody's mind. If you as a family member need to believe something for your mental well-being, Alina's not here to change your mind. But I am here to give you my interpretation of what exists based on the evidence. That kind of covers what our next question was going to be. We were going to ask you, you know, what can we expect from season two of Crime Scene Confidential? Um, And I think that covered a lot. Was there anything else you wanted to include in that of what viewers can expect? Yeah, what viewers can expect from season two? A lot of powerful conversations, a lot of shocking, I think, shocking moments not only powerful conversations between me and the people that I speak to, but we've also put together, we've brought together some people for some powerful conversations. Family members speaking to people that were convicted of of murdering their family. There were some conversations that they thought needed to take place and they had wanted to meet these people. Things that needed to be said, things that needed to be heard, um, and those conversations that they had wanted to have for many years. And um, we brought them together for those conversations. And I mean, I sat in the room and just, gosh, you know, I'm drained after these days of, you know, interviewing people and having these conversations. But I think that day stands out to me more than anything is just sitting in that room listening to a man who was a child when his mother was murdered, speaking to the man that was convicted of murdering his mother. Harrowing. Absolutely harrowing. And both showed such strength. I can't wait for our listeners to watch that particular moment. And I think there are so many 
bigger lessons from this show about healing, about journeys, about forgiveness, maybe. I've learned so much just, you know, as a human. Forgiveness is probably one of the things that's, I think, hardest for me in my life, in my world. And I look at these people and go, I don't know where that comes from. Like, how are you capable of doing that? And I always try to learn something from the people that I interview as well. As we wrap up today, do you have any advice for our listeners? And we've got a lot of them that want to get into crime scene investigation, forensics, law enforcement. A lot of them are very interested in those worlds. Any advice for them? Sure. The best advice that I can give, you know, and maybe it's because it's the path that I took, but call the agency where you want to work because I would hate for somebody to go down a path and then find out that their type of education wouldn't apply to a particular agency if that's where they just really wanted to work. Um, So if there's somewhere that you just, that's where your heart is set on working, call them and find out what their requirements are for employment. You know, go for that. It's harder now, I think, to get your foot in the door because it's such a popular career field. But do your best, educate yourself, get, you know, photography. If that's that's something that crime scene investigators do with such frequency, then take photography lessons, bring your A-game with your resume. And it's a really rewarding career. I will tell you that. You're not going to be a millionaire financially, <laughs> but it's a very rewarding career emotionally. It's something that I came home just exhausted from. But if you want to go to sleep feeling like, you did something, you made a difference, then it's for you. Thank you for that answer. You heard it here first. Crime Scene Confidential Season 2 premieres September 6th, 9, 8 Central on Discovery's ID channel. Get your DVR set or check it out also on Discovery+. Plus. Thank you so much for being here, Alina. It was seriously such an honor. Oh, thank you both for having me. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.